Well, hello. Awesome time of worship this morning. I don't know about you, but I could just feel the Spirit of God in this place. And that's why we, that's why we gather. That's why we come, to engage with the presence of God. So I'm thank you, thankful that you chose to spend your Sunday morning with us today. And we're going to be doing something a little bit different today, but it goes along with this series and the core value that, that we're going to be discussing today. This is now week three in this series called Back to the Basics. And essentially, we planted this church three years ago with this dream, this vision, that God wanted to do something in our area, in our community, with, with the people that, that we were doing life together, spiritual life together, that God was calling us out for a purpose. And when God was leading on our hearts, especially as my wife and I were kind of envisioning what God was calling us to do, uh, He was laying on our hearts that He wanted to build His church Not a Baptist church, not a Methodist church, not a Catholic church. He wanted to build his church. And so in order to build his church and to partner with God, we opened the Bible and looked in the scriptures to see what did his church look like. In Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came upon those first believers and, and they began to speak in tongues and prophesy and God began doing some powerful and incredible things, we begin to see the world begin to shift, begin to change shape. And even though it wasn't easy on those early believers, it wasn't uh, a cakewalk. They were being persecuted by uh, their Jewish brothers and sisters that thought their new faith was blasphemy. They were being persecuted by the Roman government that was in control of the area of Judea and Jerusalem at that time. Matter of fact, it wasn't for hundreds of years later that Christianity became legal in the area. So they were under fierce opposition and persecution, but yet God's church flourished. And I believe it's because Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. His church was this new thing, this new idea. It wasn't, it wasn't anything more than a group of people who were called by his name, filled with his spirit, that would gather for a purpose, and that is to glorify God with all that they are. And we could see how this new church began to develop, beginning in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 uh, and 43. We see a couple of the, the key factors that we see in the church and things that we've been partnering our lives after. In verse 42, it says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and in sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over them all. The first thing I see here in this verse, in verse 42 of Acts chapter 2, says all the believers, not just some of them, not just the ones in, in the, the cool group, and not just the ones that, that are in leadership, but all of the believers did what? They devoted themselves. That means this wasn't a casual thing we do on the weekends. This was a new way of life. Matter of fact, Christians at this time weren't even called Christians. They were called the way. Because people looked at their lives and thought, they're different. There's something different about them. They have a different way about them, about the way they live their lives. So they didn't even call them Christians. They called them the way or people of the way. It's because when you become a follower of Christ, when you give him your life and his spirit comes to live within you, it does something. It transforms you. You no longer live after the behaviors and customs of the world, but you're transformed by the renewing of your mind to live for the glory and honor of God. And every believer, everyone said, you know what? I'm all in with Jesus. 
I'm all in. They devoted themselves and they did it to many things. The apostles teaching, fellowshipping together, to sharing meals, and also to prayer. We're talking about our core value today of unceasing prayer. In verse 43 of Acts chapter 2, it says, A deep sense of awe came over them all. See, this new church was experiencing deep awe. They had the wonder of God captivated in their hearts because they were experiencing his presence and witnessing all the things that he was doing around them, among them, and through them. And this echoes the sentiment that we see made by the psalmist in Psalm chapter 5, verse 7. The psalmist says, Because of your unfailing love, I can enter your house. I will worship at your temple with deepest what? Awe. Deep awe is what is experienced in the house or the presence of the Lord because of experiencing his unfailing love. And this is what the early church was seeing. They were seeing a life that they had lived trying to appease God by religious works and sacrifices and rules and all the things the religious leaders of that day were oppressing the people in order to control them. They were living, breaking their backs, trying to honor a God they thought would never love them. And here we see that they were experiencing his unfailing love, that it was about a relationship, not a set of rules. It was about a relationship with God and and experiencing his presence and communing with the very God who created everything they are and were. And because of that experience, they were in awe. They had wonder. And that deep awe is something that I long for. Something that I've longed for my whole life that I can, as far as I can remember, And in looking at this idea of unceasing prayer, I look at my life and even as early as a year ago, I could say that my prayer life was nothing that it should have been. It's something that God has convicted me about and has been teaching me over the course of my faith journey. But through that journey, he began to teach me about prayer, learning how to pray how to really engage my spirit in prayer, communing with God, being able to really access the throne room. And by encountering his presence in prayer and feeling his peace when when I'm there in his presence, being able to hear his voice and see visions and and messages and actually see God do the very things that we kind of read in Scripture, the things that I longed for my whole life, wondering, God, what's wrong with me? Why can't I hear your voice? Why can't I receive a vision? Why can't I connect with you like people that I know or the things that I see in the Bible? I long for these things. And now through my faith journey and different circumstances in my life, I'm now beginning to experience through prayer the things that I had longed for. And I've got to tell you, it brings a sense of awe and wonder. See, I used to be addicted to entertainment. I should say I'm a recovering addict to entertainment. You know, the only way I felt like I could disconnect or unwind or decompress from life was by turning on the TV or, or playing a game on my phone or, or what have you. And I did it a lot. Matter of fact, I checked out a lot. But even though I did that, life never got easier. And it never got easier to deal with. 
I wasn't able to handle my stress any better by checking out that way. Matter of fact, I think it made things a lot worse. But now I virtually have turned off the TV. Very rarely do we watch TV much anymore, my wife and I. And through what God has been leading me in my own life, I've been putting more focus on my prayer life and my personal time with God, as well as praying together with my wife, us doing devotions together. And I gotta tell you, it's made a huge difference in our life. And now, instead of running to the television or to the computer or to Facebook for hours and hours and hours when I'm feeling tense and a sense of need to unwind, I run to the source of peace. I run to the presence of God. And sometimes it's just to kneel down in my office, opening the window to see the glory that God has made in creation, just to sit there and sit still in his presence and echo what the psalmist said is just to be still and know that he is God. That in him, everything is going to be okay. It doesn't matter what I'm struggling with. It doesn't matter what I'm battling. It doesn't matter how fierce the argument was. I can just sit in the presence of God and in the awe and wonder of his glory and his majesty, I can feel his peace and know that everything is going to be okay. See, deep awe is an appropriate response to those who have encountered the presence of God. And prayer for us is an easy gateway to encounter his presence. Matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews describes it as going before the throne of the very God, that we can enter his presence boldly to his throne to get right before God himself when we are in a time of need. That there's nothing that should prevent us from going boldly to the throne of our gracious God. That when we enter into a time of prayer, into a time of communing with God, we are literally translated spiritually from earth into heaven. The veil between heaven and earth is removed when we pray. And this is a big deal. This is a big idea to understand. It was a big deal to the early church, and especially it is a big deal to our Lord and Savior. Matthew chapter 21, verse 13. This is what Jesus said as he was cleansing the temple of the money changers and the tax collectors. He said to them, the scriptures declare my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. They had turned it into a marketplace where people could buy and sell essentially religious goods and services. The religious participation at this time when Christ entered the scene had become not even a shadow of what God had originally intended. He tended for his people to come to religious festivities, to religious celebrations in order to enter his presence and commune with him spiritually. That prayer would be the primary descriptor of his house, of his temple, but yet they departed from it. They acknowledged Jesus with their lips, but their hearts were so far from the Father. Paul to the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 16, speaking to the church, he says this. He says, don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? 
Paul's revealing to the church now through the death and resurrection of Christ, the, the veil separating mankind from the holy place has been torn. We've been reunited with Christ. Our relationship's been reestablished for those that are saved, those that have become Christians. And he's revealing that now that we have the Spirit of God in us, not only are we individually the temple of God, but collectively as the church, we've become the very dwelling place of God. Do you know that you brought God in with you today? If you're a follower of Jesus, you brought Jesus with you. You brought the Spirit with you. You didn't come to find the Spirit. He was with you the whole time. You just brought him here. And I brought him here. And as we've all gathered collectively, we have brought the very presence of God together. We have become, as his church, his house. We are the temple. When we gather together, we are the dwelling place of God. When the church gathers together, guess what? God's revealed to the world. And he's made available to the world. But I think if we're honest today, and we looked at how we do church, especially here in America, and it's been this way for a while, could we honestly say that his house is a house of prayer? Could we say that? Or have we consumerized it into a den of thieves? Has church become more about what fulfills me, makes me happy, the things that I like, the style of music, the way they dress? Is church more about these things that make me feel comfortable, or is it about accessing the presence of God and communing with our Lord and Savior? Is this a house of prayer or is it a den of thieves? See, we pray in church, but I gotta tell you, even as a pastor, I know prayer is not the focal point of our gatherings. We do so many good things. We have great music, teaching, all these ministries. But one of the most important things, the thing that Jesus focused on something that the early church devoted themselves to when they gathered together, the thing that God said he wanted his temple, his house, to be described or marked by, the very thing that brings us boldly before the throne of God is often the most neglected, and that's prayer. And God's people have become afraid to pray. Either they lack the knowledge on what prayer is, they lack experience, or they lack confidence as if they couldn't do it right. You see, I've been in those services where, you know, my parents were in ministry, so we visited a lot of churches sometimes. They would travel around and, and sing and perform in different churches, and we would go as kids there. And, and so I, people got to know me just by nature of who my family was. And when I became an adult and I began visiting churches, I, I, people would just know me because they knew my name. Matter of fact, when Tony and I first started dating, I had never been to Michigan before, and I came to visit her a week, for a weekend, and I was in church, and she had, I guess, been talking to her pastor about me and, and had uh, made the connection of my name. And I'm sitting there in service thinking, okay, no one knows who I am. I am good to go. And then all of a sudden, from the pulpit, the pastor says, I hear Joey Henry is here today. He's like, oh, I, your grandfather was my professor in college. He taught this, that, and the other. And I'm just like, oh, gosh. I mean, you know, getting pointed out like that. But, but I had been in churches where that happened a lot. Matter of fact, it wasn't uncommon for the pastor at the end of the service to randomly pick somebody out of the congregation to pray to dismiss the church. 
And because I knew people knew who I was, and, and we, when we get to that part of the service, I'd kind of do that slouching thing, kind of like duck down and not make eye contact. I'm like, please don't pick me. Don't, don't embarrass me like this, you know. And I'd been in services like that where it was almost an embarrassing thing to pray. But I got to ask you, and I, I asked myself this question, why is it embarrassing as a child of God, as a person who is saved by grace, why is it an embarrassment to pray? Why is it a fearful thing? Why are we scared? Why do we shy away from the very thing that translates us into the presence of God that provides us access to the very power and resources that we need in our life? Prayer isn't something we should shy away from. It's what we should run to. It's that important for everyone who calls themselves a believer. It's so important that Paul to the church of Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, and this is our key verse today. This is where we get our core value of unceasing prayer. He says probably the most fundamental and probably one of the most complicated verses on prayer. This is what he says. Never stop praying. It's really hard, isn't it? It's difficult to grasp. But he says never stop praying. Prayer is not what we do. It's a part of who we are. Prayer should be a value that permeates or permeates and fills our lives. And not only should we pray ourselves, but we should live this value of unceasing prayer, which means that every moment of life, we should live in fellowship with the Lord. We should be listening for his voice. We should be speaking to the Lord. We should be communing with our Heavenly Father. You don't have to wait to get to the worship service to commune with the presence of God. If you're a child of God, he lives in you. That means he's with you wherever you go. Now, for the sake of time and what we have planned for the rest of the service, we're going to put some of these things in action. James says, don't just be a hearer of the word, but do it, or else you're fooling yourself. So we're going to provide you opportunity to put this into practice today, but I'm going to give us as a church three things that we should keep in mind when we pray, that we're all on the same page, and that what we see God's will for us as people of prayer. The first thing, and if you're taking notes, you can write this in your worship guide. The first thing when you consider prayer in your life is this, our prayers should be precise. They should be precise. Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, Jesus said, when you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask Him. You know, I've been in services where, you know, people are called on to pray, and you have a guy who, you know, blue-collar guy that, you know, probably half his vocabulary is profanity, and, and, you know, you just know he's a rough guy, but then when he's called on to pray in church, all of a sudden he speaks perfect King James English. Be, O oh Lord, we thank you for this bounty and all this other, you know. People just, like, transform how they speak because of this, this prayer, thinking that if they speak eloquently and, and, and become someone else in prayer, that God somehow will hear them uh, more quickly or will do what they ask. It's not about speaking a certain way. It's not about being religiously eloquent. It's not about finding a really long way to say something that could be said very simply. It's not about impressing men. That's often why we get nervous about prayers because I can't pray in a group. Other people will think I sound stupid. It's not about what other people think. 
Therefore, it's not about how you say what you say. It's about connecting with God. It's about entering his presence. It's about knocking on the door of heaven to ask God to come through for a need. You see, God sees past all the religious garbage that we like to put before him. He sees past it. It's prideful and attention-seeking attitudes that try to make something more than what prayer is. Our prayer should be precise, which means we need to be authentic. Speak how we speak. Say what needs to be said. And don't be concerned about what other people around you think. It's not about them. It's about God. Number two, our prayers should be persistent. Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 7, he says, Keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. Many of us, because of a, a lack of faith, we give up before the blessing comes, especially when dealing with issues like spiritual warfare, casting out demons, things that we've been talking to the church about over the last several weeks in a previous sermon series. When we're calling for the healing of someone's body, we give up when we don't see things happen exactly how we have it formulated in our mind that it should happen. We give up because we lack the faith to say, I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep knocking on the door until heaven answers. We need to persistently pray for what we want. Jesus, in a parable, revealed to us, says, even if God doesn't want to give you what you want right now. He used this parable of this, of this guest that runs out of bread for his home. And so in the middle of the night, he goes to knock on his neighbor's door. And his neighbor is like, get out of here. It's late. You know, I'll deal with you in the morning. And the guy keeps knocking. It's like, I, but I have people coming over. I, I need this bread. And the guy shuns him again. And he keeps on knocking again. And finally, the neighbor gets up, gets him what he needs, gives him what he asked for so he can make him uh, move on to go back home and stop bothering him through the night. And Jesus says that this is how we need to pray. This is how we need to come before the throne of God. We need to keep knocking, keep asking until God moves on our behalf. Jesus reveals to us that by our persistence, we can actually speed the hand of God along. Not because we have power over him, but that he is honored by our faith. Hebrews says it's impossible to please God without faith. So when we walk in faith and we demonstrate faith with how we pray, God is pleased and honored and he goes to work on our behalf. We're his children and he's a good father. And what good father would not want to meet the needs and care for his children? Persistent prayers build the faith also of the prayer. When you're there praying and you don't see God reveal the answer to your prayer, when you continue to pray, you continue to ask, it builds the faith in the person praying because it reveals your total dependence is on God coming through. It's not on anything else. Your total dependence is on the Lord. It continues to build your faith. And then when you see the hand of God move through what you've been praying for, Talk about a faith booster in your life. When you see sight manifest to your prayers, when you see what your faith is become sight, it gives you a confidence to ask for even greater and greater things. Persistent prayers build our faith, and this should be the mark of our prayers. Number three, our prayers should be powerful. James 5, 13 through 18, James says this to the church. It says, are any of you suffering hardships? You should what? Pray. Are any of you happy? 
you should sing praises. Or any of you sick, you should call the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you've committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and what? Pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. James here says the earnest prayer of a righteous person. If you are in Christ, you are righteous. His blood covers your sin. Before God, it's as if sin has never existed within you. You are right before God. You are justified and sanctified by your faith. And here, a earnest prayer of a righteous person, James says, has great power. What, what does that mean? What is an earnest prayer? When the, the original language, the, the New Testament was written in Greek, and in the original language here of that, the word for earnest prayer that's translated into the English is the word energeo. It's the word where we get the word energy. Energeo is where we get energy, and it means to be active or efficient, to be mighty, and to show forth thyself. In other words, it takes effort. This is a prayer that is given mighty effort. Great power, great boldness, great uh, uh, effort in the prayer. A prayer given like this, James says, has great power. And I know in my own life, many times I'm not praying with energeo. I pray, God, you know, I don't see how this is going to work out. You probably don't want to do this anyway, but just in case you might change your mind, I'd really like for you to do this on my behalf. Most of the prayers that are in my life are not with energy. They're not with boldness. They're weak, they're anemic, and they're faithless. You see, these words, these prayers of, with energeo, they originate in a bold faith. A bold faith. In Acts chapter 4, verse 13, the apostles, mainly Peter and John, were preaching and teaching, and they were arrested by the Jewish leaders and basically condemned for what they were doing, and they were warned never to do this again or they would be facing severe consequences. And this is what the Scripture declares or describes about uh, Peter and John. In Acts chapter 4, verse 13, says, the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. And they also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. These were fishermen. These were common men. They weren't educated. They didn't have a college degree, probably not even something equivalent to a high school degree. They probably had very little education and training, just enough to be able to handle the marketplace. They knew fishing. That's what they knew. They knew rods and reels, nets, and the like. But when the religious leaders who had been born to be educated in the ways of the law and the customs of, of the Old Testament, when they saw Peter and John, they knew because of their boldness that they had been with the Lord. You see, when you are with the Lord. Boldness comes with confidence. The more you're around Jesus, the more bold you should become. Why? Because you know the truth. 
because you see the hand of God in your life. You know the Savior intimately. Prayer is that link that connects you to God. And the more we pray, the more we're in his presence, the closer we get with Jesus, the more bold and the more powerful our prayer should become. Because we not only will know his will, but we'll know his heart. And when we pray, we won't be praying for things outside of his will and that aren't in line with his heart. We'll be praying in line with his will so our prayers will give him honor and glory, which means there's no reason for him not to answer. If we're praying, but we're not feeling a holy boldness come over us, we need to step back and check what is in the way of me getting into the throne room where Jesus is. If I'm continually afraid to approach God, if I'm continually afraid to approach God and, and ask for things in boldness, I need to check my relationship and my understanding with the Lord. 1 John 4, 18, it says, Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. The psalmist in Psalm chapter 5 said, Because of his love, I can enter his temple and experience the awe and wonder of God. If we're going before the throne and it's not the awe and the wonder, but it's fear and trembling because we're afraid of not being good enough or, or being punished, it's because we don't understand what his love really does for us or how his love works in our lives. John is saying it's for fear of punishment, and that means we've not truly experienced his love. Why can we go boldly before the throne of grace and find the help that we need when we need it? It's because of the love of Christ covers all sin, breaks down all walls, and restores a relationship with our Heavenly Father that is unlike anything else. And when we know His love, we will be filled with awe, not fear. When we know what we have in Christ, we won't be afraid of His judgment, but we will be fueled by His love, which produces boldness in our prayers. The disciples in the new church, shortly after they formed they formed a prayer meeting with this newly found church. And in Acts chapter 4, verse 31, this is what it records about this prayer meeting. It says, After this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they preached the word of God with boldness. After we pray, we should be filled with the Holy Spirit. After we engage with God's presence, we should be filled with boldness and take that boldness into the world. My question is, is what kind of prayer did it have to be to call such power down from heaven that it caused an earthquake in their meeting? What kind of prayer is that? What kind of prayer did it have to be that after this prayer, they were all filled with the presence of God and went out in boldness? It was a prayer of energeo. It's a prayer of effort prayer of faith, prayer of power, and of boldness. See, as the church of Jesus Christ, the blood-bought sons and daughters of the Most High God, we just sang that truth. We're no longer slaves to fear. We are a child of God. We should not be timid to enter his presence, but bold. And that boldness comes from a person who's filled up with the presence of God. And God doesn't want weak and feeble prayers that are faithless, riddled with doubt, 
He wants prayers that are filled with faith, relying on his promises, trusting in his character, and walking forward regardless of the circumstances, knowing he will never leave us or forsake us, that his plans are good and not for disaster, to give us a future and a hope that what he said will come to pass, regardless of what the enemy might be trying to speak into our lives. God doesn't want weak and feeble prayers. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Without faith, how can we expect to receive what we ask for? God wants our prayers to be precise. Don't beat around the bush. Go boldly before the throne and declare exactly what you want. He wants our prayers to be persistent. Don't give up until you see the blessing come. And he wants our prayers to be powerful, bold, faithful prayers that move his heart into action. And if we individually as followers of Christ, and collectively as the church of Jesus beat on heaven's door like this, imagine what we're going to see God do in our lives. Imagine. And to encourage us to walk in this core value of unceasing prayer, we're not going to just hear the word today, but we're going to follow the word of the Lord in James where he says, don't just hear the word, but do it. We're going to put this to action. For the remainder of our service today, there's going to be some soft music playing. Go ahead and Dale, go ahead and launch that. And I'm going to encourage us now to go into a time of prayer. It's not enough just to hear a good sermon and say, oh, that was great. We need to put faith to our feet and put faith to our prayers. And today, I've set up three different stations in the rear of the auditorium. And I'm going to invite you in just a moment to get up from where you are and go to any one of the stations and to sit there with the people that are gathered with you and just pray together over the information that is there. Read the scripture verse and look at the different areas at that station to pray for and begin persistently, precisely, and powerfully pray for God to make a move in those areas. For those of you that are guests here, we acknowledge that it might be uncomfortable for you. Feel free to just stay in your seat uh, and pray. If there are things on your heart that, that you would like to pray for, you're welcome to do that, or you can dismiss yourself. That's not going to hurt our feelings. We'd encourage you to come back next week. But for the Church of Jesus Christ and Vertical Life Church, if we're serious about being people who engage people where they are and lead them to becoming fully developed followers of Jesus Christ, we need to be developed followers of Christ ourselves. And that begins with being a people of prayer. So I'm going to invite you in just a minute to go to a station and pray. When you're done there, go to the next one and then the next one. And then my wife and I will be down here at the front and be available to pray with anyone who would like us to pray over them for a specific issue. Maybe you're sick or, or dealing with uh, of, um, uh, infirmities of any kind. We have anointing oil, just like the word says. Call the elders together, have them anoint your head with oil and pray over you that you may be healed. We will do that today so that we can not only say we believe this book, but we can prove by the way we live that we believe this book and trust in the will of God. And so I'm going to pray. And at the end of my prayer, I'm going to invite you where you are and gather the people up next to you or just make your way to any one of those stations and just begin praying and pray until you feel that God 
has released you. You feel like there's nothing else you need to pray for. Some of these stations ask you to pray for the people in your group. Pray for them. Don't be afraid. Pray for them. Lay your hands on them and pray the power of God in their lives. And let's see what the faith of God's people, filled with his presence, can see happen in our lives. And then we can take that encounter and that boldness out into a world where we are the light in the darkness, where we can share the hope and gospel of Jesus Christ without fear, because we know deep in our hearts what God has done in our own lives. Father in heaven, I just submit to you today. And God, I know that even in my own life, I have struggled with how to pray, when to pray, what to pray for, the fear of what other people would think, the insecurity of Am I doing it right? The faith or lacking thereof that says, what if he doesn't come through? What, how am I going to look then? But God, I just renounce all the lies of the enemy. I renounce everything coming against our people today that stand in the way of them having a true encounter with you. God, I know you're here. And I know your will is that everyone would be changed. And the greatest place for life transformation is in your presence. And so, Lord, as we go before your throne now, I just invite you to take this captive audience and do a transforming work in all of our lives. As we pray in Jesus' name.